0: In wholesale, I'm only, buying, I'm only buying proven products. The product listing already exists, it has a known sales velocity, it already has lots of reviews. So if I was to use every super simple metaphor, I am trying to jump onto a horse that is already, already galloping towards the finish line versus getting on a horse and trying to kick the damn thing to get it to move and it might be a mule. So why is Amazon FBA, if you're using the wholesale model an excellent business? Because there's massive opportunity.
1: We are back with another episode of the Cold Star Project with Trent Deersmith. I'm super excited to have you on, Trent. We've been talking a little bit before we got on here. Uh, you are the founder of BreadIdeas.co and something called Flowster, which we're going to dig into a little bit. And uh, what I wanted you on for was to talk about Amazon sellers and standard operating procedures because people are so bad about SOPs. And um, frankly, Amazon FBA is not an area that I get involved in, but the SOPs sure are. So right? you know, mm-hmm. I'm uh, like, hey, here's another voice who really knows this stuff to come on and talk to us about it. So thanks for being here.
0: Well, thank you very much for having me, Jason. You
1: bet. So tell us a little bit of, I guess, let's set the scene. Who do you help best? Who's the right kind of person to be connecting with you?
0: Well, I help other Amazon sellers who want to build a business like my Amazon business, how I, I I sort of stumbled into being what is now reasonably well known as the Amazon SOP guy because I started my Amazon business where we partner with brands and we resell their products on Amazon. I started it about two and a half or maybe three years ago and we had a lot of success in our first five months, six months, and a lot of success in our first year. Uh, we did, I think it took five months to grow the business from zero to a hundred grand a month. And then we did just about 1.1 million in the first year and, and it's been growing uh, ever since. And some folks who, who I'd interviewed on my show who have training courses, um, you know, this particular individual reached out to me and he said, how did you become so successful so quickly? None of my students have been able to replicate that volume. And I said, well, I said, first of all, it's not my first rodeo. I've built and sold a company before. And when I had my previous business, because I read Michael Gerber's e-myth, I was a big proponent of having documented business processes. Mm -hmm. And so when I started the, the Amazon business, I mean, literally the first thing I did was start to document the business processes because i knew there was elements of the product sourcing that were going to be quite laborious and boring and i didn't want to do those and they and i shouldn't do those so i created documented processes for those and i immediately hired virtual assistants from the philippines so we were able to generate more product leads and send more emails to potential suppliers by a significant number than say someone who was trying to do everything themselves and and that was probably the single biggest reason why our volume, our gross sales volume grew so quickly is just because we were landing accounts faster than anybody else was.
1: Okay. Awesome. So you get into this business, you know, Hey, I better write things down. I mean, and getting that secret sauce figured out and dialed in, right? Mm-hmm. And Gerber talks about there's that's key, man. Um, mm-hmm. where do, now I've worked with, uh, in, in past businesses and do some consulting in that with, Third-party service providers. So, say somebody runs a, a contest program or something, and mm-hmm. they'll they'll hook up with uh, with Amazon FBA and e-commerce store uh, sellers. And so, on their behalf, I've done quite a few. Uh, looks at e-commerce stores that are like just slapped together and they're awful, right? They got a toy and a couple of t-shirts and some gadgets that the person likes and some electronics and it's a mess in that. So where, where, and, and it's like, dude, you need a theme, right? You know, niche down yeah. and whatnot, right? Where do people commonly go wrong when they get this genius idea to open an e-commerce store?
0: Um, you know, if you would have asked me that a couple of weeks ago, I would give you a different answer than I'm giving you today. And that's because of the fact that I keep interviewing people on my show and I keep learning new things. Mm -hmm. My old answer would have been, um, perhaps they, they, you know, they didn't have a good design or they weren't good at acquiring traffic or they didn't understand the science of conversion rate optimization and all of those things are important. Um, but today I would say, not knowing your numbers. Mm -hmm. You know, if, again, if you'd asked me a couple of weeks ago when they, and then and said Trent, how do you know your numbers? I'd go, well, you know, you need to get into Google analytics. And now as a result of things that I've been knee deep in for the last couple of weeks, it's the implementation of Google tag manager. um, And the uh, using Google's display, um, and I forgot the name of that one. The, uh, this, the, the data science of displays, basically what Google analytics is really, really good for is storing data, but it's not so good at collecting data. And I'll give an example of what I mean in a minute. And then it's not, not so good at presenting the data in a way that the layman can look at it and make informed decisions. So for example, you know, traffic acquisition, super important. So a lot of people are advertising on Facebook. As a matter of fact, Uh, e-commerce fuel just produced a report. They do it every year called state of the merchant. And I would encourage that you Google it maybe include a link in the show notes. It's a wonderful report. Uh, Facebook is the most popular for paid traffic, but ironically, it's not the most effective. So we'll leave that as a sidebar just Mm -hmm. for people to do a bit more research. But when you're, when you're starting your track traffic acquisition on Facebook, what's happening is Facebook is giving you some data but then where's that traffic going? Well, maybe the traffic is going directly to your Shopify store or maybe it's going to a landing page and you're using lead pages for your landing page. So now you've got Facebook as URL number one lead pages is URL number two Then it's probably going into your email autoresponder. And from there you're sending it to pages on your website. Maybe it's a product detail page, maybe it's a webinar, maybe it's whatever, but there's all these activities that individuals could or should hopefully be taking. And if you don't have that in, if you're not collecting all the data for that entire journey, when you're spending your money on campaigns, it's going to be really, really difficult to know what part of the campaign isn't working very well. Mm-hmm. Or in my case, I was running an evergreen funnel that was working really well and then it just stopped. It literally just stopped. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have good enough insight, which is why I decided to immerse myself in learning about this to figure out where it stopped, why it stopped and what the issues were and so forth. So, e-commerce at its heart is really about how can I acquire traffic profitably to build a customer base for my business and knowing your numbers is, is absolutely critical to making sure that you're just not smoking through a whole bunch of money and wasting a bunch of time. Mm-hmm.
1: Which all of us have done. <laughs> I personally yes, have wasted have. thousands and thousands of dollars yes, on uh, on bad Facebook ads, and even with people who said they were good managers, who I knew and had known for some time. It's just interesting what you say, Trent, about the uh, the 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 dashboards and the measures that you're given by these apps not being quite what you need, right? Mm-hmm. Not letting you quite see what you need, and and this is not. Uh, only true for e-commerce this is true out there in the factory world that i'm familiar with where the accountants and the production managers they don't really talk well to each other either that accountant Mm -hmm. probably has the data and and information that that product manager or that um, factory manager needs but they need to be asked (laughs) for it Mm -hmm. in a certain format otherwise the reports that they give that that um, production manager aren't going to be very useful
0: so uh-huh. absolutely.
1: So uh, for our listeners don't take what is given you at face value or think oh this is the only measure or this is the only dashboard or this is the only way I can see this information. Right? Feel free to figure out what your KPIs really are and go back and ask or get someone to develop a proper dashboard for you.
0: Yes and and I would say that Google Tag Manager is a wonderful tool. Mm-hmm. Um but having been into it for a little bit now, get some training. <laughs> There's <laughs> okay. a lot of detail. There's definitely best practices for how to use it. Uh, it's the old theory, garbage in, garbage out. If you're not right. getting data that you need, you're not collecting it and storing it in a way that makes it make sense for you, uh, you're still gonna be flying blind. Okay,
1: and how would you recommend getting training for that? Would you just go on an expert platform and ask somebody to book an hour with you to take you through some stuff? or
0: you know, you can Google around. There's all sorts of folks. The fellow that I interviewed on my show, um, and the ep- his name is Chris Mercer. And let me just get the episode number. I don't know if it's and even. please public.
1: name your show, Trent, so that our folks can hear it.
0: Yeah, so it's Bright Ideas, uh, you can get to it at brightideas.co. Chris Mercer is episode two seventy three. So to get to his episode, it'd be brightideas.co/slash two seventy three, and it will be published on July 9th. So I'm not sure if your episode goes live before or after July. After. Yeah. But that was a, that was a uh, one of the, cause I, I was not good at analytics to be mm-hmm. honest with you. I barely paid attention to it. Um, and when I started to buy, cause I never really bought a lot of paid traffic before, but when I started to really aggressively buy t- paid traffic for one of my webinars and then it broke, you know, I had one week where I lost $2,000 because I didn't get any conversions that week. And I was thinking, wow, what is going on here? Like I just can't be smoking through two grand a week every week. Cause that's going to be a little too, too expensive. And in and around that time, fortunately for me, Chris happened to come along and be a guest on my show and it was just what I needed at just the right time. And he actually has a platform called uh measurementmarketing.io, I believe. And he's got all sorts of training courses available and having been through or partway through the first of, of many, uh, he's, he's an excellent instructor.
1: Okay, so great, great uh, source there for folks to go to for training. Why, now let's get, jump into Amazon FBA. Uh, and the reason you and I are connected is uh, I was having a chat with a seven-figure seller who I've interviewed on my show uh, named Ken, who has developed two seven-figure businesses and he's not even 30 yet. It's crazy. Yeah. Like I'm terrified what he's going to be like when he's 40, right? <laughs> it's just determined and ruthless and and very uh, steady. And he's like, hey, you gotta talk to this guy, Trent. Um, Let's talk about Amazon FBA. Why is it a good solution for people considering getting into an e-commerce business?
0: Well, it, it can be a good solution, but it also depends on the business model that you pick. So let me quickly summarize the three different business models. So you've got private label which is where a lot of people attempt to start and most of them fail. And private label is, Hey, I'm going to bring a product. I'm going to go into Alibaba. I'm going to find a product, a garlic crusher, an apple slicer, a kitty litter box, whatever. I'm going to put my sticker on it and I'm going to put it up on Amazon and I'm going to build a brand. And a couple of years ago, that was substantially easier than it is today. And there's still some very, very successful private label sellers. However, the risk in that model is extremely high. The success stories that you hear, I think are rare because it takes, there's all this research that happens on the front end and then you pick a product and then it's going to take you several months to bring that product to market. And if you picked the wrong product, you're never going to become profitable and you'll waste months and you'll waste thousands of dollars. And it's very, very discouraging, especially for the new seller. and and, and then maybe they have a spouse who's only like kind of like half on board and you need them to be fully on board. So I don't really encourage, I'm not, I don't really, I strongly discourage people from undertaking their first venture as a private label seller, unless they're bringing deep pockets. Uh, The other two models are far, far, far less risk. The simplest of the two is what we call retail arbitrage. That's you're going to discount store, buy this thing at the discount store cheaper than I can sell it for on Amazon in the fourth quarter um, you can make a lot of money in, in RA retail arbitrage on things that people are going to be buying for Christmas presents. You'll make half of your more than half of your profit in about six weeks in Q4. So good, that easy to do, low barriers to entry. Anybody can go shop at the stores, bad, very transactional. You're always out there shopping and shopping and shopping. And most of your money comes in this really small window of time. All right. So that brings us to what some people would call the wholesale business model. And the reason they call it wholesale is because we're just basically buying products at wholesale prices from established US brands and then we become a reseller of those products. And that's how I started. Well, actually, I started with private label and I didn't do very well. But when I started with wholesale, my business took off. Okay. And wholesale is a business of relationships. Um, and the beauty of it is is once you have an established relationship and you become one of the approved sellers for a given brand, it can become quite a gravy train of cash um, because there's only so many sellers. There's no race to the bottom. You're just doing reorders. You don't have to keep keep going to the store and shopping. Um, and most importantly, it's super low risk. Hmm. Unlike private label where I'm trying to create a new product listing and hope to get reviews and hope to get traction. In wholesale, I'm only buying I'm only buying proven products. The product listing already exists. It has a known sales velocity. it already has lots of reviews. So if I was to use every super simple metaphor, I am trying to jump onto a horse that is already already galloping towards the finish line versus getting on a horse and trying to kick the damn thing to get it to move, and it might be a mule. So why is Amazon FBA, if you're using the wholesale model, an excellent business? Because there's massive opportunity. There are 500 million products on Amazon. Amazon is expanding their footprint around the world. There's more than just the US marketplace. And there are an ever increasing number of Amazon Prime members. So in other words, more products means I got more stuff to sell. More Prime members means I got more people to sell it to. And at this point in time, Amazon continues to be the dominant platform for e-commerce by a wide, wide margin. You only need to cut out like your own little slice of the pie. Like we, early on, we landed one account. Uh, it was a big account and this can, this can absolutely happen in wholesale. And that one new account bumped up our sales by, I think it was another 70 or $80,000 a month. Hmm. One, one account. And nice. I'm up 70 grand a month. You can grow really, really fast. The biggest sellers on the Amazon platform, the big companies that are doing over a hundred million dollars a year, the vast majority of them, use the wholesale model. Companies like Netrush out of Washington or Pattern out of uh, uh, Utah in Patterns ranked pretty highly on in the Inc. 5000, they're all doing what I'm doing at scale, at, at big scale.
1: Okay, great story. <laughs> where, where should people go to find out more about that wholesaler method? Do you have a course or a program or something like that?
0: So I don't have a course. There are other people that sell courses, um, but I do offer a lot of free content on my site. Uh, My site is brightideas.co and then I offer something that nobody else offers. And I offer a set of standard operating procedures, the very ones that we created to run our business. And for some people, not everyone, these standard operating procedures on their own, would replace the need for a course cause they're literally checklists organized in such a way that, okay, if I want to source products, I know I need to go into the product sourcing folder and I need to pull up the checklist that says step one. And then after that, I'll pull up the checklist that says step two. For some people, that's more than enough for other people. Maybe they need a training course cause they need context or they need more handholding or whatever. And, and everyone's mind works differently. Um, but that is what I sell and we sell quite a bit of it. It was a big surprise. I spoke at a before this was ever a product. It was just something I made for me and I spoke about it at a conference and we were overwhelmed at the number of people who came up to me after emailed me after or came to the mics and said, you know, I don't want to go and build all those SOPs that would take me forever. Could I just buy a copy of yours? And and now I've got a software business as a result of that and and the bright ideas brand kind of has grown exponentially as a result of that. Um, so that's the only thing that I sell. Awesome.
1: You've got a forum. I, I mm-hmm. ran into you just at the right time from that uh, referral. You were taking it off Facebook f- to a platform that you could securely control and and have and would never be taken away from you. Right. Uh, yeah. and that, that uh, forum is for who would you say the right, the right fit is for that?
0: People who are e-commerce entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. That's who I designed the forum for and they are either you know, wanting to build their own brand or become a reseller like me or some hybrid combination thereof, um, we, we've structured the forum for exactly that person. And the goal, of course, is to make, um, make a place for that community of individuals to find answers to questions, to share ideas, to build friendships, to find accountability partners. And we, we figured out that a forum was a much better way to do that than a Facebook group because of the fact that the Facebook group, there's no structure, there's no organization that's not indexed for SEO. Like there's okay. just, and Facebook owns all the content and that just doesn't fly very well with me. Exactly.
1: And that is at what URL? Uh,
0: forum dot flowster dot app. Okay. Very and that's cool. floster is my software company. So if you want to learn about the software, just go to, um, floster.app if you want to just join the forum go to forum.floster.app. and Floster is f-l-o-w-s-t-e-r right
1: and i have peeked in there several times uh and and i've one of the things that is great about a private forum is that people relax a little bit and they're willing to share a, a bit more about what they're struggling with mm-hmm. as opposed to out in public where maybe they don't want to look stupid I've seen that as a reason for people not sharing and holding themselves back in that. But in your forum, I've, I've noticed people talking about stuff. One of the big issues that I've seen, and, and I was talking with uh, the seven-figure uh, sales uh, FBA guy who referred me to you about, was that it seems to be tough to find something good to measure things like cost of goods sold and inventory reorder points for for Mm -hmm. Amazon FBA. And I've seen a few questions in the forum about that. Tell us a little bit about maybe your opinion about why that is difficult.
0: So cost of goods sold is difficult. It's not actually difficult to be honest with you. It's, it's simple, but it's not necessarily easy, especially for new sellers. And that's because they forget to add in, all the extra costs. So let's say that I'm talking to you, you make widgets, I want to buy your widgets wholesale. So your widgets are selling on Amazon for 20 bucks and you say, you're going to sell them to me for 11. I think, Oh my goodness, well, after FBA fees, I'm going to make a great profit. Sure, let's go. But what I've forgotten in that scenario is I've got to take into account the cost of shipping your widgets to me. I've got to take into account the cost of prepping, your widgets to get them sent into Amazon. And then I've got to take into account the cost of shipping them to Amazon and I have to take in the cost of storage fees. So you can model all that out in a spreadsheet reasonably easy to be honest with you. And and for customers of ours that buy uh, my whole, my my collection of SOPs is called webs wholesale e-commerce business system. So for people who buy webs, they they get all this already all made for them. Um, But I think it's an area where new sellers, um, and maybe even not so new sellers um because they're they're not staying on top of their numbers mm-hmm. oftentimes they're losing money and not even knowing it okay. and because they're looking at the gross right sales what
1: you said at the start,
0: yeah, looking at the gross right. sales and thinking hey we're 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 printing money and and they're not right, yeah'
1: Cause it's about margins <laughs> correct
0: margin uh margin is more important than revenue right.
1: Okay. And reorder points. I, I was surprised to see that that was a problem. I did a, an information interview with the, the, that seller and that came up and I was like, wow, this is like one of the reorder points was one of the first things that I was taught back in college, like 20 plus years ago. Right. And yeah. I didn't think that so, would be easy, but.
0: Well, well, let's say if you have one product, you know, it's pretty easy. Hmm. You, you, you look, you log on each day and see how many you got left. And the thing that you have to take into account with reordering is lead time. Mm-hmm. How long does it take you to contact you, get you to send, send me some more widgets, prep the widgets, send the widgets to Amazon, wait for Amazon to check them in. Cause in Q4 that can actually be a pretty big bad backlog just due to volume and actually get them ready for sale. So I've got to make sure that I know my sales velocity on my one product mm-hmm. so that I can place my order with you with enough lead time to ensure that I never run out of stock given a somewhat variable sales velocity. Well, that's relatively simple, but now multiply it by a hundred products or 200 products or 300 products. And with scale, it becomes infinitely more complex. And that's why you need to have great systems and you need to have some software and you need to have some support to make all of that work. Right?
1: Yeah. And I have found, with the, the Amazon sellers that I personally know, as time has gone on, they've gotten away from the creative stuff. It's, a lot of them were in the private branded business model. Um, yeah. They've gotten away from that creative investigative thing that they like and their time ends up being with like a financial business manager and lawyers. <laughs> those, are the, yeah. those are the two things that end up sucking up their time. Interesting. Yeah. Hey, let's get into SOPs. Um, you know, standard operating procedures are a big part of what we do. And uh, it's a big part of what you do with that. But I out there in the real world, it's even with large businesses, a lot of them have nothing written down and it makes me tear out what little hair I've got left. It's like, why, why aren't you, do you guys get it? Like, why aren't you writing things down? Why are you not writing down these SOPs? Why do you think that is in your experience?
0: Uh, Cause it's a lot of work. Hmm. i well, there's two, I guess there's a couple of reasons. One, for new entrepreneurs, it's just lack of awareness. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm so busy chopping down trees that I don't ever think about sharpening the saw. Um, maybe they've never read Michael Gerber's e-myth book. Maybe they've just never heard of it. They've never thought of buying a franchise because really when people are buying a franchise, that's all they're buying is a set of business systems mm-hmm. that will allow them to mitigate the risk of failure of running this startup business. If you're buying a subway or whatever it is you're buying. So um, beyond the awareness issue is well, I guess two more issues. One, it's a lot of work. And two, there are some best practices for creating SOPs uh, because you know, like for example, someone says, well, I'm just going to make some videos. And I'll put them, I'll I'll have a little hidden YouTube channel there and I'll have my team go and log in and watch the videos. Well, at a small scale that can work and it can work better than not having anything, but there's a whole number of pitfalls over time. Those videos will become out of date Mm -hmm. because interfaces change, systems change, so forth. So, so now with my ever increasing library of my videos, which were quick and easy to make originally, it becomes a huge pain in the butt to keep them up to date because you know rather than if i'm going to if if just one second or one section of that video the screenshot of the software has changed i've got to re-record just that one thing and then i got to edit it or i'm going to shoot the whole video but what if it was a 10 minute long video and ugh, it just gets messy the second issue becomes um probably even more of a problem or maybe equally as much of a problem is when you have a team like me where there's you know, we've got probably half dozen people in the Philippines. I've got a half dozen people here in the States. And so everybody's, and there are different people and we've got the management layer and then we've got the worker bees or however you'd like to call it. But somebody here is delegating someone, something to someone down here and over here and over here and over here and over here. And over here. You have, this, have to have a system of accountability and checks and balances. So going back to the video example, let's say I've got a half a dozen Jason's working for me and I say an email, I say, Hey Jason, I need you to go do the thing, watch the video. How do I know that you get it done on time? Hmm. Once I hit send on the email, where is it? It's just gone. Like I have no checks and balances. I have no way to remind me or you for that matter to make sure that the thing gets done. Well take now a half dozen Jason's or a dozen Jason's and each of you is doing a half dozen or a dozen things. And, and what do you have? You just have a big mess, right? Totally out of control. And I consider, So that's why we, bu- go what's ahead. that? Go ahead. That's why we built the software. We realized that first of all, our SOPs needed to be words and pictures mm-hmm. and that gave us the ability to edit them on an ongoing basis as needed without a whole bunch of brain damage and a whole bunch of labor. Cause if it's just one screenshot that changed, I could go into that SOP. I can click the edit button. I can take a new screenshot boom, I'm done. Mm-hmm. But what the software does, in addition to allowing us to have a place to put all of our pictures and words and put an edit button, is it allows me then to create uh, users and assign tasks and give deadlines. And there's email notifications that go let's So let's say I have this workflow for you to do a product extraction. So you're going to get a notification saying, Hey, a workflow has been assigned. Mm-hmm you're going to get an email, you click through to the email, you're doing the workflow. Oh, you have a question. Maybe you're, maybe you're new on my team and you have a question. Well, now you have a place within that workflow to do an at mention. Hey Trent, I'm not sure about this, that, or the other thing. I'm going to get a notification that you got a question. I'm going to go answer it. It's going to be in the software. As we're approaching the due date, if I was the assign or I'm, I'm the one that delegated the task to you and I choose to get an email notification, I would, you would also get one. So there's all these checks and balances to make sure no one like humans aren't perfect of course, but to massively decrease the possibility or probability that stuff's going to just fall through the cracks and not get done. And when you're in a business like mine where it's a relationship driven business stuff falling through the cracks is like money flying out of my pocket because if I fail to meet my commitments to you, the brand owner, what impression are you left with of me and my professionalism? Not a very good one. So what are the odds that you're going to continue that relationship with me? Eh, not very good. therefore, my cash flow could quite likely be quite negatively impacted every time we make a mistake. right. and I've,
1: I've talked about this before. I mean, this is the process engineer speaking and <laughs> runs a business about data sites and process engineering feedback loops are the most difficult thing that I have encountered in 20 plus years of being in business and it's you think I'm a smart person what what could be the problem here but stuff falls through the cracks and then it's two weeks later and you're like oh, what about that right or or even worse the customer says what about that and you have yeah. no idea and then you're spending half a day chasing this thing down and troubleshooting and whatnot. So, so what easy way I guess might be your software. Would you recommend for people to start recording their SOPs?
0: So yeah, obviously I'm a little biased. Let, let's give them the, they don't have to use my software answer first. Uh, what we did when we started is Google docs. So I w- I have a 27 inch monitor. I would take one browser tab and make it one half, mm-hmm. take the other browser tab and I'd make it the other half. In one side, I got my Google doc. And the other side, I got the thing that I'm doing that I want to document. So I'm doing the thing and I'm screenshotting the thing I'm doing and I'm adding it all to the Google doc. So by the time I'm done doing the thing, I got an SOP for the thing. Now, as I mentioned, if you just have your SOPs in Google docs or in a YouTube video, you're going to have all sorts of problems when you try and scale it up. So the next iteration of that would be to find software that is specifically designed for this process, which our software is. And again, it's flowster.app. So within Flowster, it facilitates the process of, you know, I can add a text widget, I can add an image widget, I can put a checklist widget, I can put a video widget, I can do whatever I want. I just lay it all up, drag, drop, drag, drop. And the same thing, right-hand side of the screen, I'm doing the thing, left-hand side of the screen, I'm taking screenshots, I'm writing stuff, taking screenshots and writing stuff. And then I now have an SOP template, which I can then, uh, uh, so we use terminology of template and workflow. So template, think of it like the master recipe, Whereas a workflow is just an instance. So if I have this master re- master recipe to do a product extraction, I assign it to you. That means I'm creating a workflow based upon this master recipe. I'm assigning it to you. So that's how you can use our software to create it. Now we've just recently um, launched what we call an SOP marketplace. Cause what I realized in the last couple of years of selling, of talking about SOPs, using SOPs, making SOPs, selling SOPs, is there are the majority of would be users of sops don't want to make them hmm. don't feel they have time to make them don't feel they have the expertise the knowledge to make them maybe the aptitude to make them they would much rather just buy them mm-hmm. so We have started to create as a means of making our software more popular. We actually give away quite a number so you can go to our marketplace and you can say, Oh, like I I would like to have that one or I'd like to have that one and you can just download it right into your account and boom, voila, the SOPs there and they're fully editable. So you could say, well, I want to make a couple little changes or tweaks. If you're, if for whatever reason you want that process to be different, I sell my complete uh, selection of SOPs uh, in a package called Webs, and we're now also just breaking it up and making some individual ones available in the marketplace. And at the same time, I am using my podcast to develop relationships with other niche and domain experts and saying to them, hey, you know, like we've got a guy who's really good with chatbots. So he's working on selling, make, making some SOPs that could be sold for people who want to do chatbots we've got another guy who's like really, really good with webinars. And so his team is looking at making some SOPs. So over time, the goal of the marketplace is to turn it into like the fiver of SOPs so that you could come there and you could literally find an, an SOP for anything that you would ever want. We don't have that much developed yet, but we're working on it every single day. So I guess the short answer is go to Flowster, check out the marketplace, see if there's something there. Um, that you that would work for you. If you're an Amazon seller, uh, you can go to brightideasco slash amazon sops S O P S, and you'll see the sales page for this whole package of SOPs that I would sell, and that seems to be quite popular with Amazon sellers.
1: Sounds great. You're going to be saving a lot of time and energy for folks who do not want to do that work themselves, but recognize the value in it. Um, we, having we something, have, you know, we've done that already. Having the the th- the idea, I think, missing a framework of like, how should SOPs get made, right? I think there's, there's that that's missing in a lot of folks' ads, and so they don't do it because they yeah. have no framework to begin with. And so if they just buy your, your kit, hey, it's already there, right? And it's a lot easier to make a couple of tinkering adjustments to something than it is to, in this sort of Herculean manner, dredge something up from the underworld, you know, and <laughs> create it out of nothing,
0: so that's that's by by a wide margin. We've been several years. We have 77, I think now at our last count Mm -hmm. and they're all highly detailed and they've been through iterations of customer use and customer feedback and tweaking and refining. And of course, Amazon's interface changes and the software tools change and there's always change. Um, It's a lot of work to start Mm -hmm. at zero. It's be like, mm, you know, creating a website when if WordPress was just blank Mm -hmm. versus You know, I use the Enfold theme. They give you all these sample pages and demos and so forth. So I don't create anything from blank. I just take one of those and I make some adjustments. I change the words. I change the pictures. Massively easier to do it that way than to start with a blank whiteboard. Right.
1: Well, very good. Well, Trent, I appreciate you being on. I think it was a great chat. Hopefully you can come back and we can focus on uh, one area of this maybe in a few months. Uh, In the meantime, folks can go to breadideas.co or flowster.app. Uh, yep. Or a forum. Flowster. App to find out a little bit more about Amazon selling FBA and SOPs. Um, any parting words for uh, for our budding entrepreneurs?
0: Um, I would say that the key, it, it, to speaking specifically to the budding entrepreneur who wants to be successful on Amazon, know that at this point in the market cycle, we're recording this in the summer of 2019, you you got to bring your A game. You've got to, I had a brand, I, I talked to cause I talked to brands pretty regularly as you might get them a say to me on the first call the other day, and you know, I was very well prepared for the call cause I've been at this for a while. So I started to know how to get myself ready. And he said, you know, most people who contact me says that they don't have two cans and string to hold them together. And what he meant, you know, he was using the metaphor of the old, you know, communication. So make sure that it's really difficult now or it's more difficult now to get brands to give you the time of day. So when you get one on the phone, which is a critical part of being successful in my business, you better show up ready to perform. You have better have done your homework. And if you do, the odds are stacked in your favor. You're going to get the answer you want. If you don't, the opposite will be true awesome. (laughs) Thanks for listening.